What did we see from Kawhi Leonard and the Los Angeles Clippers in their win against the Suns? Did De'Aaron Fox take a step up against the Warriors? We'll talk about the weekend series and more with Howard Beck coming up on today's Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome. You are locked on to the NBA. My name is Nick Angstead, host of the Locked On Mavericks podcast. Thanks for being part of the show and making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. Remember, Locked On NBA is free and available wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube where you can see us right now. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100. The promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com. Promo code locked on. And joining me for the first time on Locked On officially, been on many shows before. It is my great pleasure to get to say the three most famous words in niche podcasting. What up, Beck? <laughs> what up, Nick? Good to be with you. Good to be uh, with the Lockdown Network for uh, for a while here through the playoffs. This will be fun. Um, appreciate you uh, having me on. Looking forward to it. Howard Beck will appear on Lockdown NBA now on Mondays throughout the uh, the, the playoffs and then the off season. We'll also appear across the network on different shows. I think you're going on Blazers today, going on a show about the Dallas Mavericks later in the week that we'll talk about some crazy stuff <laughs> that's happened with the Mavs and uh, and all that. But today we're going to get into some of the weekend games and the big ones that stood out to us. We'll talk about Lakers versus Grizzlies. What do we expect from from John Morant going forward? How did the Lakers take that game? Did we see the Austin Reeves show coming <laughs> and all that? We'll talk about Kings versus Warriors and De'Aaron Fox. Did he take another level? But let's start here with the Clippers and the Suns, which I think was maybe one of the best games of the weekend. Kings, Warriors, notwithstanding. Uh, let's start easy. What's the biggest reason the Clippers beat the Suns in game one? <laughs> uh, I guess we just, just start with Kawhi Leonard. Um, although there's a, a pretty big helping of, of Russell Westbrook in one of the strangest uh, kind of like clutch bad performances uh, I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know how to classify what Russell Westbrook did in that game. But, um, you know, start with Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, you know, 38 points on pretty efficient shooting, got to the line a ton, put up five rebounds and, and five assists uh, for a team that's missing its second best player. The Clippers looked really solid, better than solid. And look, I, I don't want to go too far down this road after just one game, but the two things I was concerned about with the Suns despite all of the marquee power, despite all the hype, despite all the odds by a, a, a lot of estimations being in their favor, not just to win this series, of course, but to come out of the West, the concerns I had about the Suns, starting from the moment Durant got there and then immediately got hurt, was do they have enough time together for this to all make sense, right? Is the chemistry going to be okay? And then on, the, on top of that, of course, there were issues, concerns, uh, not just by me, about their depth. And lo and behold... Like, they barely went six deep um, for that first game. You know, a, a lot of five minutes by a Biombo here and seven minutes by an Ish Wayne right there. You know, Landry Shamet at 24 minutes is the only guy who plays significant time off the bench for the Suns in game one. And, you know, it, it, was, it was a reasonable concern at the moment they made the deal and, you know, obviously had to ship out Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson and, and, and they, they lose all this depth and especially perimeter depth. And, okay, it's, it's one game of one series against a very good Clippers team. Nothing means anything yet. But I do think that um, if you wanted to be uh, an alarmist about this, you'd say, well, 
maybe the Suns weren't quite as in sync as you would hope, and maybe their depth is uh, as concerning as we might have thought you know, a couple months ago. Well, one game may not mean anything, but if it's something that we thought that could be an issue going into this season, and even right after the trade, I think that I was on Locked NBA right after the Kevin Durant trade happened, and I was like, man, that top four looks amazing, like fits so well together and all that. You look at their depth. I was concerned about their depth at that point, and we're, we still are. They added, they tried to add, you know, Terrence Ross. They have worked, you know, Kogi in here and there. They've, you know, Torrey Craig and them. Like, they've tried to figure out who that fifth guy is and a couple others off the bench. But you mentioned the bench, and they only played, like, six, seven minutes here. Okogie, minus 10. Ish Wainwright, minus 12. Bismack, minus 11. Like, that's in five and five and six minutes. Like, that, a run like that, if in five and six minutes the other team could go on, like, a double-digit scoring run, like, that's brutal for your team in a playoffs game that's that's this close. So, I think the depth thing is is real. And I think that the Clippers just completely out-depth them. Like, the Clippers had several players on their bench that didn't even see time that I think would potentially start for the Suns and definitely get some playing time, like Robert Covington, Marcus Morris. Like, I, yeah. those guys would have played significant time for the Suns, I think. I mean, Norm Powell would be a phenomenal fifth starter for the Jeez. Suns, although, although Torrey Craig did fine. Torrey Craig's a good, a good player. And their starting five is really solid, right? The Suns have their big four plus Torrey Craig. It's just the drop-off after that is astounding. And here's the thing, Nick. When you look at who the Suns used off the bench, right? So Landry Shamit, as we mentioned, 24 minutes. And, and look, Landry Shamit's one of these uh, players who... He's, he's going to be a little streaky, right? Like a lot of role players in the NBA. It's not a knock. Landry Shamit's going to be streaky. He's going to have some good games and some bad games. He was fine, um, but he was a minus 14 off the bench. So he played the most minutes off the bench, and he had the biggest uh, minus of, of, among the you know plus minus. Uh, they're all minuses off the bench for the Suns. <laughs> the biggest um, minus of all the minuses. <laughs> yeah, and I, again, not, not a value judgment, not an insult, <laughs> merely a reading of the actual box score that shows him as a minus 14 in 24 minutes. Um so that and obviously that accounts for why the minus for him is as, as large as it was. He played the most minutes. But look at the rest of the guys, and then you tell me, do you expect anything different in the rest of the series, the rest of the postseason? Like Ish Wainwright, seven minutes. I don't know that I want to play him more than seven minutes. Josh Okogie, okay, again, a, a good young player, still growing. He he got seven minutes. I know that some people with the Suns have been very high on him, and he's had his moments, especially defensively. But again, do you really want him more than seven minutes in in a playoff game against the Clippers? Biombo for five minutes. Yeah, don't really want to extend him much. Jock Landale for eight minutes. Like, and then Terrence Ross like is is the curious one because Terrence Ross has been a pretty good player and a scorer over the course of his career. You'd think you could find more than four minutes for him. They did not play T.J. Warren. Um, I I just wonder as this series progresses, um, will Monty Williams find the right combination of players and the right minute allocation for them? Because, you know. Look at the starters. Durant played 45 minutes. Durant, who's who's got a ton of miles on him and is always getting hurt, playing 45 minutes in a, in a loss, no less. Booker played 43, fine. Booker's young. Chris Paul, 39. I mean, I know it's the it's the playoffs. Games are spaced out, and this is when you can extend your veterans and 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 put more on their shoulders. Fine, but there are still uh, limits, especially with uh, I would say an older team, or at least older in terms of Durant and Paul. Um, and one that's gone through a lot of injury issues this season. And so you're, you're going to need your, your bench. And they just don't have much of one. And this goes back to the chemistry thing. So when I, when I had caveats and concerns about the Suns, it was about, do you have enough time 
to now reformat your team after a massive, massive midseason trade, and then you didn't have Durant for all those games. And as I've said many times, there is no precedent for a player of Kevin Durant's caliber playing eight games with a team in the regular season, <laughs> or eight minutes, or eight games for them ever, and then leading to the championship. And maybe they'll obliterate that that uh, lack of precedent. Maybe they will do it anyway. But as of right now, that you know that that had been and remains my concern. And it's not just how Durant fits with these guys. It's the, the, the ripple effect on the entire roster. So when we talk about establishing your chemistry and rotation, it's everybody. And has Monty Williams had enough time to really find like, oh, here's my solid eight guys or my solid, you know, whatever, seven, eight, nine. And then here's how I'm going to play them over the course of a game. Here's how I'm going to mix and match. They didn't have that much time with a full complement of guys. And they're a little, at a little bit of a deficit in their depth. So um, that to me, those were valid concerns coming in. They remain valid concerns with them down 1-0. A valid concern about Russell Westbrook is that his shot selection and the, the, the shots that he decides to take three of 19 in this game, taking just, you know, the shots that were given to him, which is all of them. But I, I thought in every other aspect of the game, including guarding Kevin Durant for lots of the game where he was just a menace and athletic and quick and like physical with him that I thought he did an incredible job. And then he also had like, you know, the game winning block and knock out of bounds against Booker at the end. What did you see from Westbrook? Man, I mean, listen, um, I have been as critical of, of Westbrook in terms of shot selection, overall comportment on the court or whatever over the course of his career as anyone. I have always found him to be a, a kind of a frustrating player, a really exciting player. He's a blast to watch. Um, if he's on your team, you're loving a lot of what he does. And then, you know, just ask Laker fans, you're often cringing at a lot of what he does too. Um, and I saw some Laker fans gloating a little bit on Twitter uh, over the course of that game, because for all that, that Westbrook has done positively for the Clippers in recent weeks, this was one of those, oh no, is he going to shoot them right out of it kind of games. Credit to Russell Westbrook, huge, huge, huge credit to Russell Westbrook for being able to do something else. Like your shot's not always going to fall. And in Russell Westbrook's case, you shouldn't be shooting as often as you are, frankly. Like he just shouldn't. And I've, I've, that's been the case. That's the case on this team. It's been the case on many teams he's been on where just a little less rust would, would benefit them. But a typical rust performance in other respects, right? He rebounded. He had, you know, team high eight assists. And you, you noted the late defensive stops, um, a lot of hustle plays, just, and, and just that, that general ferocity that he brings that I think is this, this element that obviously is unquantifiable. Um, but he made some really timely defensive plays, which again, in the course of Russell Westbrook's career, not something we've said that often, but really came through in a big way in game one. Absolutely huge. And he just gives them that a little like FU attitude that I feel like the Clippers throughout this tenure of Kawhi and Paul George, they've just been like this lackadaisical. We don't really care about the regular season sometimes just gone through like their existence as, as a team together. And Westbrook comes in and is like, hey, no, we're going to like sit up right now, like sit up, sit, we're going to sit forward in our seats and really pay attention. And like, I'm going to keep you on your toes and give you that extra boost in the energy and all that great game from him. Kawhi Leonard, obviously huge in this one. Very curious to see what adjustments are made in game two and uh, coming up. Let's get into Kings warriors. What did the Kings do to light the beam in the playoffs for the first time in, I don't know, forever since I was in elementary school. I guess let's talk about that coming up. But before we do, let me tell you about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. You can go to Prize Picks right now, see what's available. I got some games for Monday. If you're listening to this on Monday, these games coming tonight. You pick two to five players and more or less on their projections. So I can pick De'Aaron Fox, 27 and a half points. I can go more or less on that. Let me go more on that. 
Uh, I could pick Steph Curry, 29 and a half. Give me, give me a little less than, than that. Uh, I'll add one more. Demonis Sabonis, 18 and a half. He was held in game one. I'll give him more than 18 and a half points. In this one, I put down 20 bucks. I can win 45. If I put down 100 bucks, I can win 225. If I add the power play to that, I can win 500 off of $100. So check it out. Use the promo code locked on. It's 100% deposit match up to $100 if you use that promo code. Again, it's prizepicks.com. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us on Locked On NBA, making us part of your day. Go listen to all the other Locked On shows. We have a Locked On NBA show for all of your teams out there. Uh, I host the Mavs show. There is a Bulls show. There's a Clipper show, a Lakers show. All these playoff teams have one five days a week, and all of them that are eliminated, like the Mavericks, <laughs> will be five days a week throughout the offseason uh, until a certain point as well. So check out all those shows. Howard, let's get into this. Kings. Beat the Warriors. An incredible, incredible atmosphere. If you heard uh, earlier today on Locked on NBA, uh, Matt George, our Locked on Kings host, was there in the building. He was talking about how his Apple Watch kept going off because of the sound decibels. <laughs> like, like, this is going to cause hearing damage wow. if you hang out in here for too long. Uh, wow. But for the Kings on the court, what's the biggest reason they beat the Warriors in game one? Um, first of all, just just awesome seeing the Kings back in the playoffs and their fans back in the playoffs. Um, speaking as an old head who was covering those Lakers Kings series back in the early two thousands, the last time the Kings were actually not just relevant, but amazing. Um, and having been through all those games, I, I was not sure if the Arco arena vibe, uh, mm. may it rest in peace. Uh, would that vibe transfer to golden one center for a playoff game? And um, I was really thrilled to see not just like, you know, my TV vibrating right off the wall here <laughs> in New York. But also, in a few moments late in the game, I was like, do I hear it? Do I? Yep, there it is. I can hear the cowbells. So I was very, very happy to, to, to... I was not happy to hear the cowbells back when I was covering those series because they were right behind where we, was, we were <laughs> sitting. Um, but uh, from home, at a safe distance, where I do not have to worry about my Apple Watch or any other devices telling me that I'm <laughs> about to go deaf... Um, Hope Matt George is uh, uh, invested in a lot of uh, earplugs for the rest of the series. <laughs> he said he still but, he's, he was still nursing a headache at that <laughs> at the time I, of recording. I, I, I can only imagine those, those fans were among the best in the league twenty years ago. Nice to see that that uh, it has sustained. They just needed something to cheer for. Um, the Kings were incredible, and look, I don't think there's anything that we saw in that game that was terribly shocking. Um, De'Aaron Fox may win the uh, uh, newly invented kind of strange. Clutch Player of the Year Award, the Jerry West Award, um, and he he was you know he was clutch again in that game. And and when the Kings are going, you know, when Steph is throwing haymakers and Clay is throwing haymakers, and these are the kind of uh, shots you've seen these guys uh, hitting for the better part of the last decade while leading the Warriors to multiple championships. And some of these players on the Kings were probably still in like you know high school when that started. Um, for them to be matching those shots late in the game um, to hold off that Warriors charge was just super impressive. And, um, you know, like De'Aaron Fox is just a big game player and he has shown that over and over. Um, I don't know that anybody had Malik Monk going for 32 off the bench on their bingo cards. I didn't. Um, (laughs) Neither did Draymond Green. (laughs) No. Um, And just, but, but again, like Malik Monk was quietly one of the better six men uh, this past season. Um, He's, you know, he really found his stride in that brief time with the Lakers, you know, a year ago, um, among the many guys they probably should have kept. Um, And great pickup by the Kings. And, you know, he's just, Malik Monk has got 
uh, this this kind of swagger to him that you know it's funny because like this is not like he's had this um you know glorious uh early part of his career right and he's bounced around a little bit um but he's the guy isn't just is just super confident and and for all of the kings most of whom outside of Harrison Barnes don't really have a ton of postseason experience and here you are up against the defending champs I just thought you know the um, their their steadiness, their ability to kind of match the moment uh, was just super impressive. Um, on the Warriors side of it, look, it, it they're it, it it it's it's a it's a rare thing for them to be down 1-0 in a series. This has been a weird season for them, but I will say, you know, if you are looking for silver linings on the Warriors side of it. Um, Getting 28 minutes out of Andrew Wiggins in that game and having him come through pretty well, uh, Gary Payton back in the mix, like their 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 rotation is settling in, and you know their you know their entire um, postseason success is going to hinge on whether or not they can kind of get back to the elite defense that we're used to them playing, and those two guys are critical to that. I assume I I, I shouldn't assume yet, and by the time this pod publishes, maybe we'll actually have clarity on it from the Warriors. I got to assume Wiggins is rejoining the starting lineup for game two that, you know, they didn't want to overdo it or, um, you know, put too much on him for game one after all the time that he missed, uh, for family reasons, but <clears throat> Wiggins back in the starting lineup, um, which, which then would, uh, would then push DiVincenzo to the bench, um, where you've then got him and Peyton, and Poole, and Kuminga. Like now you've got, I think, a little bit more logical rotation, and, and you've got a better uh, group to start the game defensively once Wiggins is back in there. Their rotation felt normal again. It felt like they, they had some holes filled, because you look at the Warriors throughout the season, and if you listen to like Lockdown Warriors or whatever, they were complaining about some of these guys, the Anthony Lambs, the Ty Jeromes, the guys that were filling these spot minutes that just didn't look like they fit with the rest of the Warriors culture, but with everybody, their full compliment back, it looked like they really had. And Andrew Wiggins looked amazing. Like Andrew Wiggins playing in this game looked like he hadn't missed a beat. Yeah. He hadn't played in two months. And it was almost as if he, you know, just missed a, a day or something of practice or something. Uh, that was the three, the three point shooting was, was a problem, you know, one for eight sure. there, but you're right. Other, other than that, I mean, like everywhere else he looked like him. Um, he had four blocks in that game. So like that's, and that's exactly, you know, what you like, you're not, you, you, you certainly could use the offense of Wiggins, both as a slasher and shooter. Um, and it is another thing you're missing. But the defense is obviously the biggest element. And, um, you know, there's a reason we were talking about him as being kind of like, you know, 1B to Steph Curry's 1A in the finals last year in terms of importance. Like, Steph was the clear MVP, but Wiggins was absolutely critical. And his his length, his defense, his athleticism, um, especially against, the you know, a, a young Spry Kings team is going to be huge. If this was somebody's first game watching De'Aaron Fox since maybe Kentucky, because I don't know what Kings game you would have watched if you're like a casual NBA fan since, uh, what have what have people missed? What what is this De'Aaron Fox doing that De'Aaron Fox when he first came out in the draft or first got drafted by the Kings? What is he what has he done? What has he become? I don't know that there's a lot of of uh, I mean he has certainly evolved over the course of his time in the league. I think look when he came out. Um, I think he was immediately crowned the moment he entered the league as, you know, fastest end-to-end -end yes. player in the NBA, right? Like, that was his thing. And when you have that kind of quickness, John Wall was like this early in his career, too, when he held that that title. Um, it, there's 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 the um, I-can-beat-everybody-everywhere-on-the-court um, attitude 
because you you have the the athleticism. And then there's the uh, oh no, actually, um, you know, if I'm going to be effective, I need to know when to hit the brakes or when to decelerate just a little bit. You know, keep guys off balance. Um, I, I, just that that you know, gauging your own burst um, and and the pace of the game. He's just better at that. But the one thing that has been a consistent thing, I think, for De'Aaron Fox is that he's never afraid of the moment. And he's, he's a, a, you know, a lot of guys, um, they're, you know, they're the guys who don't want to take the big shots at all because they're afraid of the moment, and he's never been that. There are guys who overdo it and want to take all the big shots and aren't capable of making a lot of them. Back to Russell Westbrook. Um, <laughs> and and, and, and then, there's, then there's, you know, De'Aaron Fox, I think, has been... He's, he's checked both boxes, not afraid of the moment, not afraid of the, taking those shots, and he's going to make them more often than he misses, but I think he's just gotten better just in terms of his overall uh, you know, judgment and, and shot selection over time. Um, and, you know, obviously, the, again, the confidence just, just leaps off the screen. And he took on guarding Steph Curry, like, early in this game and guarded him throughout the game. I mean, he, he made the joke post-game about – uh, you guys heard J.R. Smith on J.J. Reddick's podcast talking about how Matthew Delvadova almost died guarding Kevin, like guarding Steph Curry. That was real. That that's real. Like I feel that, and uh, just for him to do that on both ends, like we saw that in multiple games this weekend, from Kawhi Leonard guarding Kevin Durant to De'Aaron Fox, like watching these star players take on that mantle of, hey, I'm gonna guard on on one end their best player, and I'm gonna be the most important player on offense on the other end. It was just amazing to watch this new like, lineup of stars. Uh, and seeing De'Aaron Fox do that, especially in his first playoff game, him and Monk in their first playoff games, like doing doing this after you know playing together in Kentucky was in- incredible to watch. Uh, coming up, let's get into Lakers Grizzlies. Are we concerned about John Morant? I, after seeing the replay, I was I had my concern meter was very high. What did the Lakers do to get this win? Can they continue it? We'll talk about that coming up. But before we do, let me tell you about Built Bars. Protein bar tastes like a candy bar. They're delicious. We've got to get Howard Beck some Built Bars because Built Bar, if you're listening, let's get Howard Beck some Built Bars. Uh, they're absolutely delicious. The puffs are incredible. It's a it's a protein bar covered in chocolate with marshmallow fluff in the middle of it, and they're good for you. 140 calories, 17 grams of protein, only six grams of sugar in a bar that I guarantee you you, you will like because it's my favorite one, the brownie batter puff. Uh, I, I use my own money that Built Bar has given us in these ad reads that I now then push back into the economy of Built Bar. That's how that's how it works over here. So go check them out. You can get them at Sam's. You can get them at Walmart now. Uh, and you can always get them at Built.com. Try that promo code LOCKED15. See if it still works there. Try that. Built.com. Again, go check them out. All right, Howard. Let's get into our last game of the day today. The Lakers versus the Grizzlies. Uh, the Lakers go in as like... The underdog seeding wise, but the you know the favorite in terms of like FanDuel and all those kind of odds and you know where, where the money is coming in, and uh, the Lakers get the win, 128 to 112. And let's just start with this: what's the biggest reason the Lakers? Before we get into Ja and the Grizzlies, what's the biggest reason the Lakers took this game? Um, because they finally fixed their roster a couple of months ago. I guess that's not the answer you were looking for. <laughs> it is the right one, though. I mean, I'll agree with it. It's true. <laughs> because they decided, oh, man, maybe we actually need role players who could uh, shoot and defend around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Maybe we should change the entire rotation at, at midseason. Um, no, look, I mean, that that's at least part of it. I, look, at the moment that they traded for Rui Hachimura, remember, we, there was a couple different trades there, right? First, they got Rui Hachimura. It was like, okay, yeah, it's fine. It's a nice pickup. And all you need to do is trade Kendrick Nunn. And okay, great, whatever. <laughs> but 
you haven't fixed anything. And then, of course, there, there was the big move that gets them D'Angelo Russell and, and, uh, and Vanderbilt um, and the rest. And that was the one that we thought really changed potentially you know, the trajectory of the Lakers. But here they are in game one of the playoffs, and it's Rui Hachimura, kind of the move that I don't want to say we all slept on, but we thought, okay, yeah, nice value play, but he's not going to change your whole life. Oh, 29 points in 30 minutes. Maybe he'll change your whole life. Five of six from three. Um, he was he was fantastic, and and you know he, he plays hard. He defends, um, and you know you saw Vanderbilt guarding John ja Morant again. If you don't make those midseason trades, it, you don't have Jared Vanderbilt guarding John ja Morant. You don't have Jared Vanderbilt. So like you know the fact that they um, that the moves they made at the trade deadline and heading into it, um, you could see such you know profound payoffs. Now, granted, they already had Austin Reeves who. Um, again, credit to the Lakers for some of their, you know, just uh, scouting, drafting, development because um, he has really blossomed, Austin Reeves. And again, another one of these guys who you just go, my, my gosh, this this guy, no playoff experience, and he just looks like he belongs out there. He's, you know, the confidence is off the charts. Not afraid of the moment. It's because he's him, Howard. He's him. He's him. Who did anybody doubt it? Capital H, him. Um, so uh, just a really impressive. Um, performance from them all around like you know for LeBron to have what was kind of like a modest game by LeBron standards and for them to still win you know fairly handily at the end um is 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 incredible Anthony Davis that was kind of a scary moment where he said I can't feel my arm um so fortunate for them and for him that 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 uh, subsided quickly and he was able to finish out the game we'll see if there's any aftermath of that um you know, I think a stinger. I'm no medical expert. I think a stinger is kind of a momentary thing, but we'll see if, if he's got any uh, anything to deal with over the course of the, the days in between. Watching this game and seeing LeBron James down the stretch, like defer to Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves, and to just be a defender, like hit the, the shots that he blocked at the rim in this game Ugh. were incredible to watch, especially like 30, a 38-year-old, and to see him do that. Like, LeBron can still do that. And for him to just be like a rebounder, distributor, shot blocker, defender, and to defer to these other guys was wild to watch. Uh, usually these game ones for LeBron are like the feel-it-out games. If that was LeBron's feel-it-out game, uh, then the, the Lakers are, are really set up to win this series. But this is, you know, look, at this late stage of LeBron's career um, – it, it's it's kind of fun to have this come all the way back around full circle in a way. Like, I'm sure we're going to see if they last long enough, and I expect that they will. I picked them to win uh, this first-round series even before we saw John Morant uh, get injured, obviously, and, and we'll see where that goes. But I had picked the Lakers to win this series. I had still believed all season if they just fixed the roster, this team had a chance to make a run. I thought it was the right thing uh, to do, to still be all in. LeBron is 20, 20 years in, obviously, and, and, you know, late 30s, all these miles on him. But he still impacts the game at such a high level. And the, the full circle thing is this. Yes, there are times where LeBron can and will drop, you know, 45, 10 and 8 or whatever. But he doesn't, if you get the right cast around him, he doesn't have to. And what we learned of LeBron James early in his career when he was criticized for this is that he's always going to make, most of the time always, always-ish, the right basketball play, right? He's, he's not one who needs to force it for his own benefit. Like, I don't have to take every shot. And he was criticized early in his career for being more playmaker than, um, than shot taker at times in big moments. What we saw yesterday was, oh yeah, nice reminder. LeBron James is one of the greatest playmakers we've ever seen in this game. 
and he knows how to use his teammates to their their highest level. And if a guy's really got it going, Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, anybody, he's going to keep feeding them. He's going to keep finding ways to get them open. And he doesn't he doesn't care if he scores that much. Like like he still ends up with what twenty one <laughs> points, but like. He could do that in his sleep. The most the, um, he scored the most points in NBA history. Doesn't care if he scores. No, and I think he's shown he can score. Um, but yeah, it, it's just phenomenal all the way uh, all the way uh, around uh, performance for him. And yeah, you mentioned the, the blocks, chase down block in there. Um, you know, five turnovers for LeBron. He's still making as he did. You know, in, in the playing game, like just some weird brain fart type passes that are getting picked off. Um, but I, I, I expect he can clean that up um the grizzlies of course have the bigger concern now with jaw oh huge huge concern uh like watching john morant how concerned are you about his hand injury going forward and then uh bonus are you are you team ban the charge after that because that's a lot of the conversation (laughs) right now ban the charge could be another whole locked on series or something (laughs) of its own so we won't be able to get too far down that rabbit hole but in terms of jaw you know Players at Jaw's level, most NBA players, but especially a star like Jaw, you get hurt and you're all full of bravado and and um, adrenaline after a game. And usually, like, oh, don't worry, I'll be out there. I'll be out there. He didn't. He said my he said game two is in jeopardy. When a player like Jaw, um, with the, the 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 kind of talent he has, the confidence he has, the swagger he has, the bravado, all that, when he when the player is the one telling you, it's in jeopardy. I think that's highly, highly concerning because they're going to be usually be the first ones to say, I'll be fine. And it's the doctors who are having to tell them, no, you're not fine. Um, so that that alone was really concerning. And then, of course, just seeing the replays and the way that he fell on his wrist, they're saying x-ray is negative, but that doesn't necessarily mean you don't have ligament damage or something else. Um, and so obviously they're going to be running more more tests and and we'll see where that ends up. But this could be the second straight year where, you know, jaw has a serious injury in, in the postseason. And they, you know, they were already at a deficit, right? Like they got, you know, their butts kicked on the boards because they don't have Steven Adams and they don't have Brandon Clark. And it's not like the Lakers are the biggest team in the world either, but um, but the rebounding advantage was was notable. And, you know, uh, you know, look, obviously the Grizzlies rise and fall with John Morant, so let's hope he's okay. We've seen the Grizzlies win some games without John Morant in, in the past, mostly regular season games, but the case for the Grizzlies now, if you're saying, okay, maybe John Morant's out the rest of the series, the case is, well, we just saw Jaron Jackson got pretty much anything he wanted against the Lakers, except for against Anthony Davis. Like, they tried to, you know, set him up that way, and Jaron Jackson was great in this game. They need Desmond Bain to do what Jalen Brunson did last year in the playoffs. They need him to step up and be, all right, take over, score 30, go out there, get get buckets when we need you to, because they just couldn't find them in some, in some spaces. They've been a, a team that struggled in the half court to score all season, but I think that's the play for them is just – it's got to be you, Desmond Bain's got to be better, got to be more. He scored 22 points, six of 18 from the field though, but he's just got to be better. Like that's, I think that's their only play. And then at least Tyus Jones, you have a good backup that he can come in. And Jeff Van Gundy was having like a love fest about Tyus Jones on the broadcast. He <laughs> loved him so much, but he at least comes in and you have somebody capable to handle the reins now. Yeah, and you know, as you mentioned, you know, what was it like twenty-two and one or whatever they were? Yeah. Latin, not this past season, but the, the a year ago, they had uh, an incredible record without. Uh, John Morant, and it's because Tyus Jones is a fantastic um, backup point guard who can be your 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 fill-in starter, and probably could start for a lot of teams in this league. Um, so Tyus Jones, you know, if you know if you're going to be missing your starting point guard, it's nice to have a Tyus Jones. But it's still the gap from John Morant to Tyus Jones, and when you're already missing, you know, key players as we mentioned 
with uh, with Clark and Adams. You're just there's no spinning this right. If 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 Morant's missing any amount of time, um, as as much respect as Jeff Van Gundy and the rest of us have for <laughs> Tyus Jones, it's just not the same. And you know you mentioned them having a, a tough time scoring in the half court. They you need the transition offense to to you know uh, to, to to keep um, to keep you going and. John Morant is that transition offense. Like, you know, there's still a lot of athletes on this team and they can still get out, but like, they're just not going to have that same punch without him if he's missing any time. It just feels like this Grizzlies team is slowly just losing all their superpowers, right? Like the Steven Adams, the offensive rebounding used to be their big thing. Losing Brandon Clark, that you lose some versatility there. Now, obviously with John Morant, like just seems like each power of theirs is, is falling to the wayside. Uh, we'll have you covered on all of these. Check out the Lockdown NBA show that corresponds to your team every day. Uh, Lockdown Lakers, Lockdown Grizzlies, all that kind of stuff. And check out Howard Beck throughout the Lockdown Network. And we'll be back with, to talk to you guys on Monday.